Grow is our theme for the year, and uh, my task uh, that Nathan gave me at the end of the year is to go through our core beliefs. Um, can anyone remember who or what the first belief was? For, these, for those of you who are here visiting, we'll just do a bit of an uptake. God's Word, that's right, here it is. The Bible is the living words of God, infallible as originally given, and the supreme authority in all Christian doctrine and lifestyle. And that sits as our number one because really every other belief after that is coming from the Word. I use the Word to show you um, what our beliefs are. So it, it sits as number one, okay? Um, to find these, you go to our website. There's a beautiful Nathan right there. If you go to About Us, you can find, once you go right the way down, is our core beliefs. Who can remember what the second one was about? You can read it up there, can't you? Trinity, wasn't it? I spoke on the Trinity. That's right. The three persons of the Trinity. Here it is, and I'll enlarge it for you. We believe in one eternal God who is creator of all things. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, in the next three sermons, which includes today, I'm going to be breaking down the three persons. You say that? Breaking down the three persons of Godhead. <laughs> I'm going to be looking at the three persons of the Godhead. And so today we're going to be starting um, with looking at God. And I'm going to um, take these two aspects of God as him as our creator and him as our heavenly father. Now we know that God has lots of attributes as in he's holy and pure and uh, everlasting and omniscient and omnipotent and all these things, but we're going to look at him as the creator, which is really where that uh, is a first statement there. God is our creator, but he's also a heavenly father. And the reason I want to choose these two, apart from time, is that creator can often be way out there, but heavenly father can be very much here. Okay, So I want to look at the two extremes, really, of God's aspect um, in relationship to us. Okay, So God, creator, and heavenly father is where we're going to go. And the first one is God as creator. Let me say it this way. When I think about God and what the Bible talks about God, it all starts with God. Everything starts with God. The seats you are sitting on are here because of God. Okay, now you're, you know, you've got metal on the, on the legs. That was once minerals in the ground. You've got plastics, I think, come from... Oil, that's right. We've got timber up here, and they, you know that once they were seeds in the ground which came from God. We have paper, and they are the same from the trees. Everything starts with God. And this is the way the Bible says it, that we start with him. The first couple of words of the Bible is, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And then he goes on to talk about all the beginnings, and we'll have a look at that in a minute. But nothing is there to tell us how God began because he is the creator, we are the created. He has always existed, we have a point in time. I love the way um, Rick Warren starts this in uh, The Purpose Driven Life. In fact, this is probably, uh, I think Fiona shared a testimony, it was this these very words that caused her to consider following Jesus. That was really the, the springboard into seeking after who this Jesus is. And he says it this way, it's not about you. It's a good way to start a book. The purpose-driven life, it's not about you. 
The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfilment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. And I love that that is so clear. It is really the words of the Bible. He summed it up really well. It is all about him. Let's have a look at some verses. Um, Isaiah tells it this way. He says, I am God. Now, this is Isaiah writing it down, and he has been imparted this to him. He's a prophet. And God says, say these words, I am God and there is no other. God does not share his godliness with anything else or anyone else. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. It's a very bold and powerful statement. And he makes it very clear. He doesn't mix his words. But to truly understand ourselves, we must begin at the starting point. And of course, that starting point is not you. It's God. And even, I think, within this disclosure that it's all about God is really a gift of God to us. That he would choose to disclose himself to us. That he would choose to reveal himself. And uh, he does this in a couple of ways. Because, you see, we're not left up to speculation. Because we have revelation. We don't have to sit back and try and work out who this God is because he has revealed himself. And he does it in a couple of ways. We call it general revelation and specific revelation. And general revelation is made up of a few things, but nature is one of them. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, you you only have to look around at nature and you can see that there is a designer behind this. Look up into the heavens at night and understand what, is out there and you will go, this is much bigger than I am. Or the experience I've had in the last couple of weeks is I've had a little baby placed in my hand when I became a grandfather. Actually, I've had two little babies placed in my hand because they were twins. And you go, there is a God when you see these beautiful little ones in your hands. There's much more to life than this, than what I'm seeing. And that's because it's all about God. Now, he reveals himself um, by speaking to us. And as I said, and I started, the number one belief that we have is it's recorded for us here in the Bible, his word. But it's also, as I said, revealed to us through special revelation. And that revelation takes on the special revelation takes on the form of the word, capital W-O-R-D, the logos, which is Jesus. So we're talked to us through a spoken word, his Bible, but we're also spoken to us by Jesus. That's the special revelation. We'll have a look at him in a minute. But firstly, by language. The very first words we're told say this, in the beginning, God. In 
the beginning God. And God created the heavens and the earth. Interesting. He says the earth was without form and void. Now, there's some sense of form to my shape here. It's not this. It's more this. But I have some sense of form, isn't there? I'm not voidless. But we find here he's actually saying the earth was without form and void. In fact, darkness was over the face of the deep. Not even the earth. It was just darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God being the Holy Spirit. God's presence was there at the beginning. You see, what we're reading here is really the heavens and the earth were just a a kind of soup of nothingness, a, a, a bottomless emptiness, just an inky blackness. That's what was there when he called it into being. But then he starts to bring it together and he starts to speak form into it. And you can read it in Genesis. The first thing he does is bring forth light. Now, that's not the sun and the moon. They don't come to a bit later. He actually brings his presence and light is brought onto the scene because God is light. And darkness flees when light comes. And when God brings himself into that inky blackness and reveals himself to this voidless, formless experience, light appears. And then we're told that there's sky. He brings the two apart and he creates land, earth, and then the, and he brings the waters apart and he sets up the heavens. And then he starts to build on that. He finds there's vegetation. And then we have the sun and the moon. He brings these lights into the sky to allow these things to happen. And then there's fish and birds and animals. And then we read that he crafts the pinnacle of his creation. Of all these, this wonderful creation, he comes and we read this. God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Interesting there, isn't it? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, there's God in Trinity, the three persons. They're all there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right there back at the beginning. And God is communicating with himself as Trinity right there. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. So why are you scared of spiders, I want to ask? I am. (laughs) So God created man in his image. Who's this man? Well, in the image of God, he created him male and female. There's God in his fullness right there that God displays himself in maleness and femaleness. So, blokes, we can do the ironing and the washing just for Donna's sake because we are all created in God's image. He created them. But did you hear that? You are God's image bearers. Just let that sink in. You are God's image bearers. When I look at you, I get a taste of God. 
Because you are the highest of his pinnacle of creation. You know, I can look at the stars and go, wow. But I should be able to look at you and go, super wow. Because you, who's that, Ange? That's what Stephen says, is that right? Um, yeah, because we are his image. So don't beat yourself up. Because if you start beating yourself up, you're actually having a go at God's creation. And you are far greater than you think you are because he has brought you into life. He has formed you. He has created you. He knows you by name and loves you immensely. You are important. You bear God's image. So God creates a male and a female that reflect his nature and he says this to them. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Now, up until then, when he was creating the, 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 the land and the stars and the vegetables and the animals, it was all good. But he gets to male and female and he goes, this is very good. This is very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And, of course, here we are today. When that happened, a long, long time ago, many people will speculate and talk about, and I'm not going to go down that road today, but I just want to say that God created you. He knows you by name, and you are very good. Yet the search for the purpose of life has, I think, puzzled people for thousands of years. And if you only not have any knowledge of history, you'll see that's what's happened in time as people have sought after who this God is and how does he work. And we've had our ups and lows, ups and downs in, in history. The Reformation was a high, but then the Enlightenment, I think, for, the, for God was a low. And then we have you know the rise, of, I think, of Pentecostalism, which allowed the spirit to be back to life again in, in people's understanding, and that became a high. But I think materialism in our world today has caused a very much a low. So we have this rising and falling through throughout history. Yet the search for purpose of life has us many of us puzzled. And that's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point. You see we start with ourselves. And this is what Jesus and this is what God is saying, I think by these first couple of verses in chapter 1. We ask these self-orientated questions. What do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for the future? And by focusing on ourselves, I believe it will never reveal our true life's purpose. Because at some point, we get to the end of ourselves and we get to the same point of having this huge question mark over our life going, I can't figure it out. Focusing on ourselves will never reveal our true life's purpose. And contrary to what many popular books and seminars will tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. And why is that? Because you didn't create yourself. That's what the Bible tells us. It's not about you. It's about this God that created you. So there's no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. You've got to go back to him. In fact, let me read it to you here. 
Romans 8, 6 and 7. I'm going to read it from the message because he makes it more um, tangible, I think, for us. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is opposite of focusing on God. The opposite. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about themselves than God, and that person ignores who God is and what he is doing. You see, self-focus causes us to withdraw because we have to turn inwardly to look after ourselves and to find out our purpose. And we lose sight of what God has done and he's doing and wants to do, past, present and future. That's how much God, the creator, wants to be involved in your life. If I'm self-absorbed, that's where I get stuck because I didn't create myself and the answer to life is beyond me. The answer to life is beyond me. So, excuse me, this is the answer to our stuckness, I believe, and it goes like this. You were created by God and he, he knows how best you live. And that's why this sits as number three in our beliefs. You were created by God and he knows best how it lives. And I've always understood this, I've tried to process this, and I suppose the easiest illustration that I can use, I think I have used it here once before, is that just imagine if my car broke down. Here's a picture of it. In my dreams, yes, it's the Honda NSX, I think I've mentioned it before, okay, it's a lovely car, isn't that? Guys are just going, oh. Something about a car with a bloke, it resonates in our heart. I don't know why girls go, oh, what are you talking about? I don't know. But I tell you what, I look at it and go, that has shape and form and <laughs> it's a lovely car. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, uh, his son owned one. So I got to sit in one once. That's about all I got. His name's Rob. He's the Rob. And do you know what? I mean, I'm going back to the 80s when he had one and he... Took it into town, he had it at the rocks one Sunday night, and it got stolen. Imagine losing your NSX. That was devastating. Two days later, he got rung up by the police, three o'clock in the morning. It was a lady policeman, and she said, Rob, we found your car. It's in a side street in Alexandria. She said, the outside looks fine, but there's only one problem. I, I lifted the bonnet and the engine's gone. And Rob said, can you just do me a favour? Can you go around to the back of the car and lift the boot? And so she walked around the back of the car and she said, I've just found your engine. <laughs> and um, he, didn't, he tried not to laugh, he tells me. It didn't even have any scratches. It's a beautiful car. But tell you what, if this car breaks down, I can do a couple of things. I can try working on it. Buckley's there. I don't know anything about cars. What I can do is take it down to my local garage and Grant will look after me. Grant looks after all my cars. He's a great mechanic. I can talk to him. He just knows it all. But if I get my NSX down to Grant and uh, Grant says, you know what, this is beyond me. 
I have no clue how to look at this. He would say to me, maybe we need to send this on to the next person that knows something about it. And of course, he'd send me down to Trelora and I'd get to Sutton's uh, Honda. They would take the car, they'd go over it and they go, ah, you know what? This is beyond us. We don't know what to do with this. There's a problem that we need to go a little bit higher. And so all of a sudden they start communicating with Honda in Japan where the car was created. So why wouldn't you talk to the creational of the car? Who knows the car best? How it runs, how it gets around. Go back to the one that designed it. Go back to the one who made it. And why don't we do that with our life? When we're stuck, when we're confused, when we're broken, why don't we go back to the one that designed us and knows how best we are built and talk to him about it? We need our God to fix us. We need to go back to our creator. You see, for you and I to find out how best to live this life, I need to get back to him because your creator holds the answers of your life. Now, if the book of Genesis reveals to us about our design, it also speaks about our dilemma. And you've only got to go a couple more chapters after one. It's called number three. And you start to read about this dilemma. The dilemma, even though I was made in his image today, this image tells me has been marred, has been scarred. And the dilemma starts back at the beginning also. Chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, the man and the woman are confronted with a choice. And basically the choice is put to them this way. Do they listen to what God has told them in how to live or do they do what they think is right and choose to live their way? That's the dilemma they come to. Interesting that he actually talks about you have power over the creeping things on the land and it was the creeping things that challenged them. And so where do they throw their, 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 their thought process? To themselves. And they choose to listen to themselves. History reveals to us that they choose themselves to break the relationship with God and to choose to make themselves the boss of their lives. And this is how most of the world chooses to live today, isn't it? I am my own boss. I am the one who is in charge. And so basically we have everyone living for themselves. That's why we start with ourselves when we seek out answers on our purpose to life. Because I am in charge of my life. I find it interesting that the middle letter of sin is I. And that defines sin, isn't it? I will do what I want to do. I am the boss of my life. I am my king. No one is going to tell me what to do. I am in charge. That's sin. And the problem with that is we have a verse that says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. No one can come up to that standard that God requires for us to go his way and allow him to live in us and for us and through us. We've all fallen short. And that's how the world is chosen. That's why we start with ourselves and we seek after ourselves. But as I said before, God's word is not just in language, it's also in action. And it can be summed up this way through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you, Romans 5, 18 and 19. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong, 
and got us all into trouble with sin and death. Who was that? Adam and Eve. Yeah. Who said just Eve? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good on you. Um, another person did it right and got us out of it. Who's that? Jesus. This is what Paul is telling those he's writing his letter to in Romans. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. He doesn't just get us out of something, he gets us into something. And when you become a Christian, you're not just out of death, you're actually into life. I think we need to remember that because that's actually the questions we're asking for, isn't it? What is the purpose of my life? (laughs) Well, Jesus has got the answer. We've just got to make sure that that's where we keep him in our forefront of our thinking. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. So if you choose to live for God, Jesus who died upon the cross paid the price of your sins against God. That's what we remembered in sharing communion today. Jesus paid the price of our sins. He sacrificed his life for yours so you can have new life, real life, or as the Bible talks about it, abundant life. That's the opportunity he has for you. So if you're seeking after the purpose of life, he says, I've got the answer. But it will require you handing over the keys to your car, your life. You have to get out of that driving seat. You've got to let me in and I will take you where I want you to go. And that's the promise of God to us. He says it this way, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. It was a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. You see, it's not just um, that Jesus dies and my sins are taken away, just like Jesus did three days later and got up from the dead, we call it the resurrection, he says, you get included in that as well. Like there's all the benefits that go with making Jesus the boss. These are huge benefits. He says, you can actually have life in all its fullness. Not just in heaven, now. And we get to do that now. And that is so exciting. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal, a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. You see, there's our creator, and I talk about him at a distance, but when sin is dealt with, God, Jesus actually brings God to us. And in fact, he says he will live in you. And that's the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. God himself will come and indwell you and he'll start to work in you if you allow him. Jesus has made a way back to our creator for us, but he also reveals our purpose. And here it is here. He says, we look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen, but we look at this sun and see God's original, oh, sorry, we look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, 
everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. You're looking for purpose? Jesus has got it. He's the answer. Look to him. You will have your uh, questions answered. So we can return to our maker, the one who knows how we need to live. And he helps us to live out our purpose. And if you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about now, I'm going to pray at the end of the service. And if you would like to make him your boss, we're going to make that declaration then, okay? Let's just go to the next one. He's also our creator. God is our heavenly creator. Now, it's interesting. This is the term Jesus often used to refer to God. Have a look. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father, God, my father will love him, love you. If you make me your boss, my father will love you and we, we will come to him and make our home with him. So you see, God as father, no longer distant as creator, but when he comes to us, he comes to us as a father. And that, of course, speaks about relationship. But you you know what, what I see today is that fathers don't get a big rap in society nowadays. Sad to say, they leave, they can hurt you, they can be present, and at exactly the same time they can be absent, and they can let you down. They make mistakes that have far-reaching effects on how we live and on who you are. But father is the term that God chooses to call himself in relating with you and I. And I love that. By referring to himself as our heavenly father, he is speaking about family. Now, all of you hopefully have come from a family at some point. And hopefully it was an encouraging time. And if it wasn't, I would say most of you are trying to create it as an encouraging time now with those that you do have around you. No one likes to live in a family that's absolute a wreck. It's devastating. God invites us into his family and he calls himself the father. We can be born again into this family he talks about. We can become his children again. Wow. You can become a child of God. That's amazing. Because he is perfect. Because He is holy because he is strong, because he is present, always present, because he's a provider, because he's our protector, because he's our sustainer. He is our sustaining father. That's the father that invites us into his family and has made a way through Jesus so that we can be called his children. John says it this way. What marvellous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. Wow. I long to hear those words coming off my God's lips when I stand in his presence. I can read it in his word. I can know it in my heart. But one day it's going to come through these two things here. And they'll be perfect ears. I'll actually hear him. And he will say, you are my son. You are my child. And I long for that. That's what he's done. We will be called children of God. That's who we really are. That's also why the world doesn't recognize us or uh, takes us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. 
But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him. Bring it on, I say. I want that. See, God is our heavenly father and his greatest attribute towards you and I is his love for you and his love for me. God loves you greater than any human father can love because his love is pure, it's unending, it's patient, it's steadfast, and it's righteous. I want a love like that. In fact, God would say you were designed for a love like that, and that's why your heart aches, because it's not fulfilled. I am the only one who can fulfill it. In fact, Jesus told a parable, and I want to close with this, which explains the Father heart of God perfectly. And it comes from Luke 15, 11 to 32. And because of time, I'm not going to get to read it all out. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Many of you might know it. And Jesus tells this story about a father and his two sons. Um, The word prodigal is not actually in the Bible. It might be in your heading, if you have headings in your Bible, but it's not actually in the word of God. But the word prodigal means this using resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish scale, a person who gives in an over-generous way. And the reason I want to say that and read that out to you is because we kind of don't use the word today. We don't say someone's a prodigal. But you can see what he's saying in the light of this story when I read it to you. He tells this story about a father and his two sons. And what happens is it's... Um, One of the sons says, I've had enough. I want to go out into all the world. He goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. Now, he's the second son, which I find quite interesting because in the generations of things, the first son gets everything. But the second one comes in and says, well, whatever you've got, I want it now. And with that, he goes AWOL. He goes absent without leave, packs his bags, off he goes. He's gone. And in, can I say it this way? No. Yeah. He runs off to Vegas, basically. He runs off to Vegas with the family fortune. He blows it on cheap whores, booze, and high stakes poker. That's the contemporary version, okay? And he ends up trying to survive by living off the food that he feeds to the pigs which is not that good if you know anything about feeding food pigs. When he comes to his senses, he reasons that he could be uh, much better off if he was to go home to his father, confess his sins, seek forgiveness from his father and work as one of his, as his father's servants because he realises that the servants back at home for his dad are much better off than the servant he is at the moment, broke and doing what he's doing, feeding pigs which for a Jew is not a very good thing to be doing. So he says, well, I'm going to hike off back home. But he's got this little plan in his head. To do it, he's got to say sorry, confess it, and then just say, Dad, I know I've blown it, but give me a second chance, will you, just to, to serve you. Well, and, and here, I'm going to show you this first. This is the real prodigal, I think. You know what I mean? The one who is over generous and extravagant. 
I reckon it's not so much the prodigal son as the prodigal father. Because have a look what he does. And he, the son, that is, arose and came to his father. But look at this. While he was a still, uh, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now, my son lives in Melbourne. Okay, my real son, Jaden, he lives in Melbourne. I don't stand at the front of my gate every day and go, is he coming back? Is he coming back? Now, maybe it's because I got text nowadays, but this is the, this is the father looking for his son. And while the son is still a long way off in the distance, his father notices that it's his son. Now, this is the guy that's asked for it, gone off and blown it. There is no phones, texting, whatever you want. Has no clue where his son is every day. He must come out every day and look and wait and see, is he going to come back? Is he going to turn up? Wouldn't you do that for your son? Your daughter, you love them. They're from your loins. They're mine. I want to see them. Well, here he is. While they're a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Look what he does. Now, this is the old man. This is the the patriarch of the family home with all the servants. He hitches up his robe and he runs and embraces his son and kisses him. Now, if he's the old man, he's not probably not running too hard. But I tell you what, the son's probably going, that looks like dad coming down the road. I think we're going to cop it. Uh, Wouldn't he? I'm guessing maybe I'm going to cop it here. But what does dad do? He comes here, wraps his arms around him and kisses him all over. He says, you are my son. Can you see what's happening here? And the son quickly says this, father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. You know, he's got it all. On Pat, he's got it worked out. He knows he's got to come somewhere. He's, he's crawling back home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I think he was genuine. I, I, I'm not doubting that. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says this. I, I find it interesting. The servants are running after the father. He's bolting on down the road and the servant's going, where's he going? And he turns around to the servants and he says, bring quickly the best robe. Because what's he been doing? He's been working with the pigs. He must be stinking, his clothes are all, you know. He says, get him the best robe. The best, not just a robe. You know, let him have a shower first and we'll put some nice robe on. No, get him the best robe right now. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. So, in other words, that's, 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 that's a sign of elevation right there. You're not going to be my servant. You are my son and you get the ring, even though you've spent all your stuff, you know, out in Vegas. Put shoes on his feet so the poor guy's been trudging along the hard soil, sandalous, I should say. Put shoes on his feet. He's setting him up as his son. And um, he says, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So there's already the meal, the fatted calf is already there. It's it's waiting for something. Now, maybe it was uh, when a visitor came. Maybe it was for next week's meal. Who knows? But he's going, I want the fatted calf. I want the best one. I want it on a plate. We're going to sit down and we're going to celebrate. We're going to party. We're going to eat together. And you know why? He tells us. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and he is found. And then they began to celebrate. Can you see the father's heart? Jesus told this story to illustrate the father's heart to you. He is our creator, but he is our father. This is your heavenly father. This is how he feels about you. This is the story you need to know. And if you're struggling with it right now, going, I don't know if I see my father like that, you need to hear this. You are a child of a kind, strong and engaged father that loves you dearly and would run after you. He loves you so much. He seeks you out. He's constantly waiting for you. He needs to see your heart and he will run towards you when you go, I'm coming home. He is a father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous enough to provide for your journey, strong enough to protect you from circumstances that seem beyond your control, and a father that never stops loving you. He's both our creator and our heavenly father, and that's his revelation. And I've gone long enough. So here's a question I want to leave with you. Um, do you know him like this? Do you know him like this? That's what it comes down to. Do you know him as your maker? You know, he's both made you and made a way back to himself through Jesus. And I told you that I was going to pray. I'd like to just, if everyone would just close their eyes now, if you want to engage with this father, this creator, I'll get all of you to speak it out. But I'm just going to pray. And if you pray this prayer honestly and meaningfully, this is all it takes to get back into the presence of God. Just like the son did. I'm sorry. I wronged you. And I want to come back to you. Let's just pray. Pray this after me, please. Father God, I confess to you that I have sinned. I'm sorry for all the wrong that I have done. I want you to be both my saviour and my Lord. And I want to live for you from now on. Amen. It is as simple as that. But don't let just those ten words in that phrase make you think that what Jesus did on the cross for us was simple. The reason you can pray that prayer is because of what Jesus did and what we remembered in communion. He's the one that makes it simple because he died for you. For those of you who need to know him as your heavenly father, don't allow the actions of your earthly father to define you. And I say that because often we will go to our heavenly father in the light of the way we were treated by our earthly fathers. And I had to make a big shift in my understanding because of my relationship with my dad here on earth. I approached God the way I approached my heavenly father, which was very much about law and rules and regulations. And yes, there is a, an involvement in that when you start reading the word, but God is gracious. gracious. Don't get that. Gracious. He loves you immensely and he wants you to come to him. So don't allow the ways of your earthly father to define who our Heavenly Father is. And the other thing I must say to you, I'm going to get the band up now. Come on up. We're going to have our last song. 
don't go by feelings. Don't say, I don't feel like you're God. I'm saying, go back to the word of God and read it. Get the facts right. Don't you think it's interesting in Romans 12 too, where he says, um, do not be conformed to this world, but be tranced by the renewal of your mind. Not the renewal of your heart. We know that that's where God works in our heart. That's what we, that's what we do and how we come out of. But he says you need to renew your mind. And I think the reason is, is because we get the facts wrong. We go by our feelings. And feelings will say, I don't feel like God's my father today. Well, excuse me, Ken. The fact is God is your father today. And I need you to help me, God, experience that. Do not go by your feelings. You need to get the facts. Do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe God would hitch up his robe and run towards you because you are worth it? Because that's the statement Jesus was making when he preached this parable. Spend time hanging out with him because all of us need to be restored into this image that he has for us.